You are the master of your reality. This is even more true in relation to the government. Democracy doesn't just happen. It takes participation. Governments need participation and feedback from their citizens. Join Rob Hutchinson for Dear Parliament, where you get to understand the issues and engage directly with government. Dear Parliament is every Wednesday at midday, only on 101.9 High FM. And good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Dear Parliament right here on High FM. I'm Robert Hutchinson and it's been quite a while since I last spoke to you or spoke to anyone for, for, for that matter. Kind of been stuck up here, here at home, uh, avoiding people as best as I can. No, honestly, it's not another COVID season. It's just me hiding away from, from society and burying my head down, down in work. And, and it's been a good time, been a good time. A lot has happened. Uh, there's so much going on right now in parliament. Um, so many bills being put forward and a whole lot of buzz around the elections that are, that are going to happen next year. Many political parties are already, uh, putting together their, the uh, election programs uh, really started their election campaigning. As we can see, even some of, some of it's subtle, some of it's not too subtle. We've seen a lot of noise from from the EFF and a lot of noise from from other parties as well. Some some it'll be an interesting time. I think that's that'll uh, show up next year as to see who is actually going to be still on the voting roll. Will parties like cope? And other other smaller parties uh, be around. I think they will. I think they definitely will. And they'll obviously be running for uh, for uh, the elections and hoping to get a few seats in Parliament or sometimes keep their seats in Parliament. And I can I can tell you now, there's a lot of stuff happening in the background in in Parliament and the National Assembly as well. A lot of bills that are being being put forward. And I'm not sure if, if you do know, but when when a amendment bill is started during during the during assembly during the national parliament, it uh, it has to be completed because if it's not completed before parliament dissolves, and we're talking about the sixth parliament dissolving here, with the uh, seventh parliament coming in next year, when the when parliament dissolves and any bills aren't finished, they get shelved and they get started again. So there's a lot happening right now, a lot of calls for comments, a lot of opportunities for people to have their say, and so on. And quite a few important bills that are, are on the go. We have the uh, amendments to the road accident fund. This is quite a quite an interesting one, quite a quite a contentious issue. I know the road accident fund has always been a bit of a bit of a contentious issue for for the public, for Treasury, for uh, for government themselves, and especially for for Parliament, with a lot of opposition parties calling for a total reform of the road accident fund. And here it is happening, a total refer, reform of the road accident fund. And when I say reform, it's it's actually about time. It's all about financial issues. Uh, Parliament has finally realised that the road accident fund has been severely poorly managed and is running to an incredible amount of debt. Some estimates around up to about 300 billion rand in debt. This is due to uh, mostly mismanagement of, of finances and also abuse and corruption within in the fund itself. So the, the proposal is 
a total reform. Um, a lot of issues have been uh, addressed here. There have been a lot of strange proposals, a uh, total reform of how the fund operates. It is no longer, uh, you don't get paid out in a lump sum anymore where you claim from the fund. It will now be a social system where uh, you get paid out annually or regularly or as you as you need it. So no more lump sum payments from there. Um, that brings up other problems because uh, you can you cannot can no longer claim for pain and suffering, um, which you used to be able to. And if you pass away during during your compensation period, then the payments don't continue; they stop. So your your family and loved ones get left out. Whereas before, a lump sum would take care care of them. One major point of of the road accident fund amendment is uh, a hit and hit and run. So if you are involved in a, in an accident where some driver drives into you and you are severely injured, and the other driver just drives off and no one knows who he is, you can you cannot complain. You cannot claim claim from the road accident fund, which is uh, not right in any way whatsoever. Um, other exclusions, which are which are quite important. Uh, previously, medical aids used to be able to claim from the road accident fund. If you're involved in an accident, you claim from your medical aid if you have a medical aid, and then the medical aid will then uh, claim those funds in turn from from the road accident fund. Um, that no longer happens. That's fallen away. So you can expect a rise in your medical aid premiums. Your monthly premiums will go up, and some medical aids will even uh, limit the claims that you can that you can make, and, and in, if you're involved in an accident, um, a whole lot of others which we will chat about in very shortly, and a whole lot of other issues which we shall chat we shall chat about with my guest, which is Kieran Ryan. And good day, Kieran. How are you? Great, Rob. Good to speak to you again. It has been a while. It has been absolutely far too long. Yes, I think we must make a concerted effort to to get out there. There's so much to talk about, Kieran. Really, there there is. And uh, you you were talking about uh, your fantastic interview with with a uh, construction mafia. Now, the mafia is is quite a is quite an interesting term here because our government has been called a mafia before, and many there's been so many mafia operations within within South African government spheres. Uh, Transnet Mafia, Eskom Mafia, the Construction Mafia. It seems to be all over the place. First of all, before we, before we, uh, to take, take a quick break, let's, let's explain what a mafia actually is. A mafia is basically a criminal gang that, uh, are extorting or defrauding, um, extracting money in a way that they're not entitled to, um, the term in South Africa is quite loosely applied because what happened, um, the, the government issued these uh, preferential procurement regulations were for public projects where they designated 30% of a project to certain groups, which would include black-owned women, youth, that kind of thing, uh, in, in line with the, the whole program to promote black economic empowerment. Um, now, bear in mind, that was for public projects, but what started happening was 
these uh, these mafias. They call themselves business forums. So there, there's a kind of fig leaf of legality there. They started then approaching private construction sites and saying, hey, we, we're the local community. We want 30% of this project. Um, and, of course, the, the private company is saying, but that's uh, not required by law. But then they would start getting a little bit more aggressive, sometimes showing up with, with weapons, with guns. They would be threatening the site manager. Um, they'd even be throwing people, they'd, throwing people off the site, assaulting them. And it really started in KwaZulu-Natal, but then spread around the country. Um, to the point where if you talk to construction people, the, a lot of these construction companies are finding it easier to engage with these mafia and come to some sort of financial arrangement with them rather than trying to go through the courts. There, there are some lawyers who specialize in taking these, these mafia to court and winning cases, but when you don't have the enforcement, the law enforcement behind it, you, you pretty much need police and security, massive security on your site to protect your, your interests. And of course that's, that's another cost which has been added to this whole thing. Mm. Um, there's that's, been that's, a, a that's number quite, of- quite interesting, Kieran. I'm, I mean, mafia is, is, I think it's a term that came from the 1920s in, in the US during pro- prohibition. But you know, let's, let's chat a bit more about that in, in a moment. You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson because democracy doesn't just happen. <laughs> I feel like playing a, a mafia tune coming back in, into the show there because we're talking, we're talking about uh, mafias and syndicates within, within government and specifically in the construction uh, industry and with our guest, uh, Kieran, Kieran Ryan. So Kieran, you were, you were telling us a bit about, but about what's happening there in KZN. Yeah. So it, uh, the, the, this mafia concept, I believe the term originally comes from Sicily, uh, mafia, which, which, um, means my mother. Uh, I may be wrong on that one, but, uh, it, it, it is an Italian, uh, in origin apparently. Um, but of course, it's become a very well-known term in South Africa. So, you know, the the, the reason that this is quite interesting, I I've been reporting on this at MoneyWeb for quite some years, and um, and just noticed that it's become more and more prevalent as time has gone on. Around about June, I got a a message. I got a contact from a, a mafia member, and he's an enforcer. Now, what is an enforcer? Well, I had to find this out for myself. <laughs> these are usually, <laughs> yeah, these, these are the heavies. These are the, the thugs. They are normally previously been in prison. And this particular individual, I went down to meet him in the Vaal River because what they were doing down there is um, they, they were basically in, uh, according to him, it's just denied by the company. I did speak to the company. The company is called Dichimaka. Now they're building a, there's a 40 million rand road project down in the Val River area. This is part of the whole Val city rejuvenation project, which is going on. Uh, and I must say, it's not a very good start because this whole Val city rejuvenation project is about 20 or 21 billion. And it's designed to, to make this into a modern uh, sort of uh, Singapore type city. What happened here was um, this road project, which is worth uh, about 40 million, split into two parts. 
Um, and by the way, it's only about a three-kilometer uh, stretch of road with a, a major intersection involved. And you sort of do the sums on that. Um, it, it doesn't really add up. But anyway, what was happening is this mafia had been engaged, uh, and there were nine of them. They were receiving 300,000 rand per month from the construction company. Uh, but there was a falling out amongst the the mafia. So th- this enforcer guy, and I, I can't reveal his name because uh, it would put his life at risk, just to let you know that of the nine mafia members, um, one was beaten unconscious and the other one was shot in the Verenigen, uh CBD. This is just uh, a month or two ago. So there's two out of the nine that were attacked. So it, it, attacked. That clearly shows the desperation that goes on. What happened with this this enforcer? Uh, he spent uh, roughly 27 years in prison for um, cash and transit robbery, and uh, and he shot and killed a policeman. So he's not a guy that you you easily mess with. And you know when when you have that kind of reputation in prison, you're an enforcer in the prison. When you come out. They then, these mafia kind of identify you. Yeah, we need somebody who's got a bit of muscle, uh, a guy that nobody's going to mess around with. And their job is to keep the community in line. Um, now, the, the community, in terms of this uh, preferential procurement regulation that I was talking about earlier, this is a public sector project, so they are entitled to 30%. This is perfectly legitimate that they ask for that. But they weren't getting it. So where was the money going? Well, it was going to, again, this is according to the community members that I spoke to, it was going to companies completely outside of the area, um, companies that didn't qualify. So in construction, you have this thing called the CIDB, which stands for Construction Industry Development Board Gradings. You have to show that you've got a certain amount of expertise in order to do a, a particular type of project. So the, these projects were going to people who didn't have the right gradings and they weren't from the from the area. So the community started to get very uppity and upset about this. Mm-hmm. And it was the job of the mafia to, basically to, to rough them up, to threaten them. And they would, you know, they would say things like, you know, we're not only are we going to kill you, we're going to kill your family. <laughs> You can imagine uh, if, if you've got that kind of threat against you, you, you're probably going to decide it's not worth the effort to go any further with this. However, what happened, there was a, a kind of a breakup within this mafia and, um, and the enforcer that I spoke to, I'm going to call him Jake because that's uh, the sort of pseudonym that I decided to use in the story that I wrote. He had a, sounds a, like a friendly guy, Jake. He's actually, you know, socially... <laughs> Quite pleasant, you know. Um, but the, the I think he had a pang of conscience, and you know, when you live in a community and you kind of see that the the hardships that they go through, and they they're coming to you and say, "Hang on, well, why aren't we getting any of this construction work? Why is it always going to these people outside?" Um, you've got to live there, you know. You, you you've got to make uh, to break bread with the people that you live with. So he had a pang of conscience, and that, that's why he approached me. Um, so obviously the obvious question is, well, have you reported this to the police? Have you reported it to the Department of Transport, Transport, the Gauteng Department? All of these things had apparently been done. Um, the, the company denied that there was, there was any wrongdoing, but it is being investigated by, uh, by both the, the, the Hawks and by the 
Gauteng Department of Transport. And we, we wait with bated breath. This is something now that's going on. We're, we're coming up for October, so that would make it, you know, 9, 10, 11 months that this, this has been going on. Uh, uh, and this project will be wrapped up by, by next year. So it's, it's pretty clear that the, the Stalingrad delaying tactics will work to the favor of those who are currently benefiting from the program. The, uh, the investigations at the end of it might say, yes, there was some wrongdoing here and there. Um, however, you know, we, we can't stop the project. So th- this is kind of just a emblematic, I think, of what is going on around the country. There was another uh, instance. I don't know if you recall the the Fish River Canyon. Uh, what was it called? The Fish River Casino <laughs> down in the eastern. Mm-hmm. That was a Salt Kirchner Casino and Gary Player Golf Course. Now, yes, what happened yes. there was you had um, – it, it, it basically fell into uh, disuse because it was part of a land claim that went on for 22 years. Uh, eventually, the land claim was settled in favor of the, 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 the community. Um, and a group called for us. They, they went to the community and they said, let's do a collaboration here. They wanted to turn this into a world-class international studio, which they did. And they had a, a British TV film crew out there, and they were filming a reality show. And, and what happened then was um, – it's quite a beautiful resort, by the way. What happened then was you got one faction of this community decided that they weren't seeing enough of the money. So they started um, doorstopping the, the managers at this casino resort, the Fish River Resort. And eventually they invaded and trashed the place while the film crew was there. You can just imagine the PR for South Africa with this kind of thing going on. Um, a British film crew <laughs> basically getting tossed out of, of this thing. So the whole project, you know, the, the, the resort was trashed completely and, and abandoned. And of course the community that were, were, were pushing to get some kind of financial benefit, they got nothing. So you, you're just seeing this type of things. It's spreading like a cancer throughout the country, unfortunately. Uh, and it, it's, you know, so how do you fix it is, is the next thing. And that really comes down to local law enforcement. You know, when you, you, you go to the police and they say, well, this is a financial claim. So it really is a civil matter. Therefore, you've got to bring a civil case. Well, no, it's a, it's a criminal matter. You know, when somebody, um, bursts into your property, that becomes a criminal matter. So you've always got this kind of argy-bargy debate going on between the police and the and the victims in this case. Um, law enforcement has just completely failed and broken down when it comes to, to mafia. So going back to my original point, a lot of these construction companies uh, are deciding it's, it's easier and probably cheaper if they just engage these guys somehow and, and get them to provide protection, which is the old mafia, you know, extortion racket. That's exactly it. It was, we'll, we'll offer you protection. Um, you pay us some money, but you stop paying and you lose your protection. And then we are the ones that you need to be protected from. So where, where does it, where does it stop? And am I correct in saying that it's, uh, exactly as the mafia would be, where the mafia control uh, the powers that be. In other words, the mafia control the police, the mafia control the law enforcement, 
and and everything else, the the ministers, the decision makers, and so on, because it does appear to be that way, especially if you look at bigger uh, state-owned entities, for instance, ESCOM. There, there's been a lot of talk about uh, the the mafia within within ESCOM. And Andre Dureta even even mentioned that it goes all the way up to right to ministerial level. Um, so, how, what is the reality here? How, how do we? How would government even stop it if government is actually involved? I think that's a question you probably couldn't answer. But any comment on that? Yeah, I mean the Andre Dureta book. Um, what was it called again? Uh, Truth, speaking truth to power or something like that. Um, I, I did read the book. It's pretty fascinating because in that, you know, he detailed so many irregularities that were happening at the power station level right up into, you know, procurement and into his administration. He really was a hostage there, in my opinion, to these, these, these criminal operators that were, that had infiltrated uh, because this really goes back to the Guptas, and the Guptas, when they came into this country, started up Sahara Computers. Uh, quite an astonishing story, which which has yet to be, you know, fully ventilated. I think mm-hmm. how they managed to to infiltrate uh, at the, the highest levels of government here, but they did identify the state-owned companies as being the, the big source of money, and of course they're entirely correct in that. Um, you know, how they got ESCOM, they, they, they bought, um, coal mines. Um, I, I forget the name of the, the big coal mine that they, they acquired. It's uh, Optimum, I think it was. Optimum, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Optimum and Cornfontaine as well, which is a, a nearby mine, both in Mpumalanga. Acquired that using a, a, um, an advance fee from ESCOM itself. And so basically, this Optimum used to belong to Glencore. Uh, you know, Swiss-based mining group. And they managed to get that out of Glencore's hands into their own and bankrupt it because it's now in, in business rescue. Um, uh, actually, I, I think it's been taken out of business rescue quite recently. But when they took over, what they did was they just basically stopped all maintenance and they, they asset-stripped this thing. They took all the cash they could out of the, the operation so, you know, miners were going down into the, the shafts without the proper safety gear, the cables which are necessary to maintain proper operations. They weren't being maintained and replaced as needed. So every little bit of cash that they could get their hands on was, was stripped out. And this really just set the tone for for ESCOM, I think, for the, you know, the, the years that followed. We're talking here, that was about 2016 that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're now, you know, eight years later, and we're left with this, you know, we're, every South African is experiencing it in terms of, of load shedding. Yes. Because, you know, there, there was massive losses, billions we're talking about, billions, tens of billions, hundreds of billions, on wastage, on fraud and basically mismanagement and inefficiency throughout the organization. How do you, how do you stop that? It, it's clear that the only way you stop that is you, you have a very, very firm commitment at the top, and it filters down thunderously right through the, the rest of the country, through the public sector and the private sector, because let's be honest, the private sector has been complicit in this, because every instance where you find the mafia is involved, you'll have a private sector operator on the other side. It's not just the public sector that's involved. That's correct. 
That's correct. And that, that goes for all state-owned entities. We've seen the same with Transnet and, and deals there. And it's not just um, local suppliers or, or, or local businesses. It's, it's international. You know, when you're talking billions and billions of rands here, um, it, it's, it, it stands to reason that there are multinational companies that are involved in, in the corruption here. On the ESCOM side, it was right back until uh, to the nuclear deal. That, that was uh, totally corrupt, and that would have cost the country a huge amount of money, probably less than it's costing the country right now in load-shedding losses. But nonetheless, that will be a, a different story altogether. But if you look at Transnet, it was um, uh, the purchase of trains that didn't even fit the rails and didn't even didn't even uh, fit the tunnels. They couldn't even function on on our on our ra- railroads. And you wonder how does this get through? I mean, there are uh, any anybody knows that in government there are so many levels of bureaucracy, but and surely there should be checkpoints at every single level. But there doesn't seem to be that. It just seems to be one decision maker, right sitting right at the top who okays everything without considering any reports or anything else or input from advisors or or managers or anything else. That's a major problem. Or is it, as you say, an outside influence coming in and making the decisions for them? Yeah, I, I mean, it's just the culture of rot which is which has infiltrated every aspect of the administration. Um, I, I mean, recently there was a... Uh, about 115 CEOs, they signed up to this, uh, call it a program, basically, to use the skills that they have to try and fix some of these broken parts of the of the economy. And uh, so I'm talking here the top-level guys, you know, Neil Front, you know, from the mining sector and people of that stature, basically signed up to this program and you say, okay, you know, we've heard this kind of, this is all very nice and, uh, you know, programs, we, we, we'll sit together in a committee and we'll, we'll come to decisions. And I, I sort of question the validity of this, but I, I think this may have some, some impact. They've already dispatched four, four teams into the power station. So they really are rolling up their sleeves, getting to the power stations and starting to fix the, the operational side. Of some of these things, I mean, there has been a, a, a bit of an improvement, I think, in the load shedding over the, the last little while. But I think people are fed up with the state-owned companies, the the rot that has gone in there. You know, look at Transnet. What has happened there? Where you've got the Durban Chamber of Commerce and Industry basically calling for the removal of um, Transnet CEO and and the Transnet Freight Rail. Uh, the head of that department, mm. which is completely broken. If you look at Transnet, that we are now, we are shipping le- uh, volumes that we last shipped in the Second World War. That, that's where we've gone. There's a regression here <laughs> to <laughs> Second World War levels. Wow. And the, the cost to the economy, and this comes from Professor Jan Habenkert from uh, Stellenbosch University, he says Transnet cost the economy 10% GDP last year. Just think about that. Think about the loss of jobs and so on. You know, you, you cannot go on and, and uh, at, at this rate. And this year, by the way, he says the, the cost of the economy is going to be 5%. We're not, by no means out of the woods. I mean, Transnet went from a five, uh, 5.7 billion rand profit in 2022 to a 5 billion rand loss. That's an 11 billion 
turnaround wow. to the negative. So, and, and the, the, it's not just those raw financial numbers. The, the figures are far, far worse than that because, you know, commodities don't get to port. Uh, the downstream businesses from that don't get to, to function in the way at, or at the level that they, they should be able to. There's a massive down, uh, downstream spinoff from this, this malfunctioning rail and ports operator. Yeah. Um, and, and even Brian Gordon, you know, who's the public enterprises minister, he, he came out with a very strong statement. I've never seen anything like it. A little bit late, you know, I mean, he's been presiding over this portfolio of dysfunctional assets for a long time, but he did come out with a statement saying that, uh, we, he's now going to start looking at, uh, performance at, at the management level. He wants to, he's really digging in there and, and trying to find out what is going on in Transnet. Um, mm-hmm. and he's putting them on notice. Uh, you perform or you're out. Yes, he has an interesting thing. He's, uh, his department will no longer exist after 2024 elections. It's being, re- it's being replaced by a new state-owned entity, which is a which is a holding company for all other state-owned entities. But we'll chat more about that in a moment. You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson, because democracy doesn't just happen. Now, Kieran, um, we were chatting there about uh, started off with mafia, and we're moving into more more serious matters here. The reform of uh, Pravin Gordon's uh, oversight. Do you do you think with the establishment of this this new state-owned entity, which is a holding company to to all other state-owned entities, apparently it's to manage the finances of all other state-owned entities. Do you think centralizing it into all into one entity? Is going to work when government appoints the board, the CEO, it determines how it runs. Is it not just another waste of money? Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the record uh, from this government in managing state-owned companies is shocking. Why would we expect that behaviour to change now that all the, the it's basically going to be an asset management company that's going to own the state's interest in all of these things? Um, there's, there is a cultural problem there that runs through ESCOM and it runs through Transnet. Um, just by the way, on Transnet, you know, the, 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 it's not the first time that they, people in the business sector have called for the removal of top management there. The mining, the Minerals Council of South Africa did that in December last year. There was a leaked letter that came through, um, you know, saying we, we can't work with the CEO. We can't work with, um, the, the, the management there. And so what they did was they set up these these crisis committees basically to identify the real choke points in the operations. And what I'm hearing from people who are involved in this is that I, I, Transnet re- resented having any outside interference at all. Um, you know, you run an operation, I run an operation. You, you, I can understand somebody comes in and starts telling you how you can do it better and they start... You know, you start feeling maybe a little bit, uh, uh, pulled over the carpet because you're not doing things to, in, in the best possible way. And, you know, you can understand that. But here we're talking about something which is a national crisis, you know. So put all ego aside, you know, are you not the right person for the job? If you're not, then, then you should get out. Um, it, it is a cultural problem that has got to be 
and and this is why I'm I'm quite uh, interested to see how the business sector does manage to reshape some of these state-owned companies at the power station level in ESCOM at Transnet because they are now starting to get there and they're bringing some of these disciplines and these performance measures that clearly were not there. I mean, Prime Gordon in his statement that he issued just a few weeks ago, you know, he's calling for, you know, key performance indicators. Well, hang on. I thought, you know, that would have been the, one of the most <laughs> obvious things to do, you know, decades ago, not now. You yeah, know, definitely. and the thing is almost sunk. But Kieran, don't, don't you think that it's, that it, the problem is actually higher, higher than this? I mean, it's, you know, in a traditional company, you, you have a, a board who elects a CEO. And here in, in, in South African state-owned entities, it's not that way at all. It's, you have the minister who elects a CEO, the minister who has the final say. That, that in itself is, is, is wrong. Now, if you have a, a state-owned entity managing other state-owned entities, it's, it's literally centra- centralizing everything into one department that makes the decision on absolutely everything in this country. One department will have the say on who's the CEO of, of ESCOM. One department, the same department has the, uh, the, uh, the say on who's the CEO of Transnet. And we've seen this already. Previn Gordon has rejected the, the, the CEO that the board put forward to him for, for ESCOM. And no doubt he has the final say in, in all of this. So is this, is this a problem? Will the elections solve this? Do, do we have to elect a new government? Do we have to elect new ministers? Do we do private educations or a private education? Do we do private or uh, independent election, uh, elect, elect elections? Let guys run independently or are we going to end up like Zoom? Yeah, I mean, that, and I ended right there. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a tough one. Look, I mean, you can just imagine the potential for Carter deployment when you have a centralized asset management company that's going to make, and, and as you rightly point out, these are ministerial appointments. So, um, there, there, there are, there are IOUs that have to be paid off. There are favors that have to be honored. Mm-hmm. Um, there are factions within the ANC that have to be taken care of. Um, you, you, you can just imagine what potential there, there is there for corruption. Um, I, I'm not optimistic about that. And, you know, is, is the, uh, it, you know, people often say, you know, I'm, I'm cautiously pessimistic <laughs> because they're saying the election next year and there's been a lot of attention on that, you know, and possibly the ANC will get below um, 50% or maybe even 45%. Well, you know, I, I still think they'll retain power. Yeah. Through coalitions with uh, with some of the, the smaller parties like the EFF, so I don't think it's going to be um, and, uh, the, the solution is elections like uh, Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe, I'll come to in a minute because I, I think that's a, an interesting and separate story. Mm-hmm. I, I think we we're probably looking at you know another five years before you know we see the the end of ANC hegemony in South Africa. Yeah. Um, but they, you know they've done a lot of damage. You know some of the laws that they've passed that have really throttled growth in this country. Labor Relations Act being being one. Um, you know where you have make it almost impossible to to get rid of somebody, even somebody you know who's been caught stealing. Uh, these kinds of cases in other parts of the world, if this was the United States, you'd be fired on the day. 
But no, here you can go, you can get suspended and you can go for a year or two while the whole thing drifts through the court process, through the labor court, uh, you know, before you get any kind of satisfaction. Um, just turning to Zimbabwe, I, I was up in, in Zim a couple of weeks ago, actually just to the, the Bike Bridge border post because um, it, that's a little sort of interesting bit of good news coming out of Zimbabwe. The, there's a South African company called Robex, which is listed on the stock exchange. They uh, they developed this the, the, the Bike Bridge border post on the Zimbabwe side. And um, it's pretty magnificent. It's done in the style of the Zimbabwe ruins, you know, with yeah. this kind of curved uh, natural granite type of facade. But what they've done is split the traffic into three streams. You've got the trucks, the buses, and then everybody else. So if you're trying to go through there, and you used to get backups that, you know, during COVID, I mean, there were horrible pictures there. People died. There was a, a story came out in December 2020. Of, of four people dying, you know, waiting because there's no uh, water, there's no food, uh, and and you're stuck there maybe for days trying to get through. Well, I went through that border in five minutes. Um, oh. That's on the Zimbabwean side. The South African side is still that old sort of Tashkent, um, uh, horrible block of a building. I don't know if you've ever been up to Bike Bridge, but it's uh, I haven't it's still there. Um, but now the, the uh, Home Affairs has recently put out a tender, so they're going to redevelop the, the South African side. If you're going to have inter-Africa trade, you're going to have to start really smoothing out these, uh, the, you know, the flow through these borders and, and not having these these choke points. I did ask, you know, about the uh, – because they've deployed these border guards there, whether there's still instances of people, illegal immigrants, able to get into the country – and um, it seems to be better. I, I, I wouldn't say that that it's solved because um, I, I, you just don't know unless you're monitoring people all the time, 24/7. You'll never know. I understand that before you, you can you can get into South Africa, even if you don't have a passport. You know, you can come from Malawi, and there's like a menu of services that they've got. But no, no passport. You're you're going to pay you know two thousand rand. No visa. Uh, you've got a passport, no visa, that's, you know, a thousand rand and so on and so on. And how many? But you can still get in. <laughs> you can still get in. Yeah. And I think that's why we have this, uh, which, which has become a, a very big election issue is illegal immigration. And it is all over the world because, you know, we had pretty much an open border. It, it wasn't open by policy, but it was open through corruption. And, um, you know, how many illegals are in South Africa? Anything between, well, uh, foreigners, this is according to this university that I think it was three and a half million. I'm, I'm calling rubbish on that. Um, yeah. It's much higher than that. I think that's just in Kharteng alone. Yeah. 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 Which is a huge, huge, huge problem for social services, for healthcare. And I mean, we're talking things about things like the NHI. Uh, foreigners will be taken taken care of. You're going to have an influx of of foreigners uh, coming down from North of Africa all the way down to South Africa, just to get free healthcare, free treatment, and and so on. It's, it's going to cause such problems. The, the hospitals now are asking for your ID documents, um, and if you are a foreigner, you, you, you're getting charged at a different rate to a South African, and a, quite a hefty rate. And I'm talking about the public hospitals here. Yeah. So that seems to have become 
um, you know, one way of, because it was they, they, what they called the sort of medical tourism, you know, people would be coming from Congo and they would check into a public hospital here and get pretty much free treatment. I, I think that's becoming a lot more difficult. Um, and you can, you can just see this, this whole move. Um, some would call it xenophobia. As I say, no, we, we've just got to protect our borders. Xenophobia might, might be a mis, uh, misnomer in this particular instance. But we haven't had borders. But you have to look at the Constitution. The Constitution caters for um, access to health care uh, uh, on an equal level, no matter who you are. You don't have to be a resident of South Africa. You just have to be within South Africa's borders. So I think yeah, that that needs to be addressed first before anything else can be addressed. Yeah, I mean, equal access to health care, um, sure, they, they will admit you, but they will charge you. Uh, a, a different tariff. That's my understanding. I, I don't know if this has been announced as official policy or not, but I just know this from a friend who was recently admitted to hospital in Pretoria, uh, mm-hmm. not uh, South African. Or, sorry, he had he brought his South African uh, driver's license, but not his ID book, and it shows that he's born in the UK. So they they're charging him as a foreigner. I, I may be wrong on that, but that's my understanding. Wow, seems a bit. In- Indiscriminate there, yeah. <laughs> uh, Kieran, it's it's been absolutely wonderful chatting to you. We unfortunately we we're running out of time, um, but let's continue this next week. I think there's so much we we haven't covered, there's so much we need to cover, and so much that our listeners definitely do do want to hear. Um, any last words before before we wrap it up? Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe this is a subject for another day, but the the, the road accident fund, uh, you know, is is another tumor on the face of South Africans. Oh, and, without a doubt. <laughs> you know, there, there's there's a lot to the story. You you mentioned that the liabilities there. I think you said something like two hundred or three hundred billion. They're actually closer to six hundred billion. Wow. And what they've done is they've just changed their accounting rules. You know, if, if, if you don't like the figures that you get, um, I think it was Winston Churchill once said, you know, these are my values. If you don't like them, I have others. And uh, I, I think it's the same with accounting policy. You know, if, if you don't get the figures you want, we're just going to change the accounting policies. But maybe that's a subject for another day. I think let's dedicate next week's show to that. It's a it's a contentious issue. There is a bull out there. There's a whole legal movement um, happening right now, challenging the amendments to it. Let's let's do that, Kieran. Kieran, once again, thank you so much. Um, and we'll chat to you again next week if if you are available.